0: Hey, everybody, Robbie and Garrett here. Uh, Just wanted to let everybody know this episode this week has some issues of accusations um, being believed and assault. And so if anybody uh, has a sensitivity to those issues, we just wanted to give you a heads up and a little warning for the subject matter this week. Thanks.
1: Everybody, welcome to the Delta Flyers of Tom and Harry as we journey through episodes of Star Trek Voyager. Your two hosts along this journey are myself, Garrett Wong, and my co-host, Mr. Robert Duncan McNeil. Well, Robbie. hello
0: there, sir. Hello. hello, hello. How <laughs> are you today? You're in Sick Bay. Oh, I, I see your I'm background. In sick bay, yeah. Your background I, is sick bay, so you must not be feeling well.
1: I'm feeling a little blue, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I do feel a little bit uh like the light. Do you think the light's a little bit too? No, I think the
0: light looks like sick bay light. (laughs) It actually, (laughs) right? I'm actually not kidding. Your the lighting of your of your Zoom lights or whatever, yeah, yeah. Your podcasting studio lights match the sick bay lighting beautifully. It looks like a professional professional episode of Star Trek right now. Uh, would Billy Pete be proud of me? Right. Yes, now? Billy Pete, our gaffer, <laughs> our gaffer, our lighting guy would. He would be very proud of you for your okay, Star Trek lighting. Good to know. All
1: right. Uh, so, what's going on in the McNeil world? Anything crazy? Anything? What's uh... going
0: on? I'm wearing my Resident Alien hat. We're yeah, that's a more nice than hat. halfway through season two filming, and uh, we've got about five episodes kind of locked already. So uh, nice. Going to be airing in late January 2022, so um, I love little, it. Little Resident Alien love, and I've got my Turner and Hooch sweatshirt on. So all the McNeil TV shows oh. from Vancouver this season are represented in my outfit.
1: I love that. Very cool. Yes. yes. Huh? So you're wearing uh studio swag right now, I am. pretty much. Show, right? Show gear. Yeah. Okay. Show yep. gear or show swag. That yes. that could be a tongue twister. Show swag. Show swag. Show swag.
0: Swag or swag. 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 But a I swag just added is... an H on there. Yeah. It's yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, I'm hanging in there, man. I just uh, got back from my mother's 80th birthday celebration. She turned nice. the big 80. Yeah. So that was wonderful. That was in L.A. A lot of relatives showed up for that,
0: and. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, a lot that's of a lot of birthday. Season. That's yeah, that's a big milestone. Big birthday, yeah. Are your mom and dad the same age, or is your mom older or younger? My mom's older. My mom is older. Interesting. Yeah, yeah she got the younger guy.
1: Yeah, <laughs> got the hot young guy. He got the hot young seventy-eight-year-old. Is what she got. <laughs> She's two years older, I think, than my dad. So. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. She was born in 1941 and my dad was 1943. So there is a little bit of difference there, Nice, uh, but yeah, but the big eight Oh, she's still, you know, she's still churning along, still good with health and still a uh, uh, sound mind and sharp mind. So that's,
0: that's a good, thing. that's awesome. That's awesome yeah. that you could be there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. So this week's episode. Yeah. What is this week's episode? Retrospect. Mm. Retrospect. Retrospect. You don't use that word that often, you know, that's not a word that's used a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes like in the art world, a retrospective is sort of a look Mm -hmm. back at an artist's work.
1: Right. But But, yeah. I mean, you see it, you see it written, you'll you'll see it written as in retrospect, comma, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times you don't hear it spoken, you know, and people don't usually say in retrospect, I should have, you know, turned off the oven before I left the home, you know, whatever. You don't hear that. So retrospect is this
0: title. Of this you episode. also don't hear words from Star Trek like Kapla, or you know, there's other words that we use in Star Trek, like retrospect uh, that hey, Quickly, use retrospect
1: yeah. and Kapla in no sentence, go!
0: <laughs> this episode,
1: I am uh, excited to go watch this, so why don't we I go
0: check this out? We'll be right back with our retrospect of <laughs> retrospect.
2: <laughs> mm.
0: all right
1: everyone we are back robbie and i are back and with us we are joined by none other than writer extraordinaire lisa clink from star trek voyager thank you lisa thank you hey guys hello
0: hi so happy to have you
1: here yes Yes. yeah i'm happy to be here yes and just to start it all off lisa had requested that when we reached this episode retrospect that we bring her in on the recap and discussion of this episode, because she does have a lot to say about this episode. So Just to start it off, Lisa, if you can speak to how this pitch came about, I guess the story was by Andrew Shepard Price and Mark Gaberman, but the teleplay was written by yourself and Brian Fuller. So could you Mm -hmm. please speak to at least how this was pitched and then how you guys translated it and how things went well and how things didn't go that well in terms of your (laughs) opinion? So please.
2: Well, I don't remember a lot about the original pitch, but I think it was kind of in, in the, in the, in the air at the moment was um, the McMartin school case in which um, the kids had sort of had their, their repressed memories, you know, brought forward and they had remembered mm. all these horrible things, you know, satanic rituals and abuse and all that. And there was also a psychology study that had come out right about then, uh, Elizabeth Loftus, had demonstrated how easy it was by the power of suggestion to induce people to remember things that had never happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, They did this Mm. with college students and told them, you know, your family has told us that you got lost in the mall once as a kid. Did you remember that? And of course it never happened, but with enough questioning and kind of leading questions, they got these people to genuinely remember that they had been lost in the mall as a kid. Mm. So we thought this was a pretty interesting concept. Uh, and I believe that's what the, the pitch, uh, the gentleman came in with the pitch, kind of said, you know, what if this happened to one of our people? Mm-hmm. And then we decided to make it seven and nine uh, because she has sort of a complicated past.
0: Yeah, yeah, that all makes <laughs> sense. I think this is a, it's a complex, subject because every case like when you talk about the McMartin case that's very different circumstances than maybe the typical and very historically relevant uh, woman comes uh, you know forward with an accusation of some kind of assault that wasn't just a memory but what actually happened and then is not believed or is believed or you know whatever we can go down all those. I I think the thing that I struggled with in this is it does feel like an analogy for the most common experience, which is historically a woman has been assaulted or sexually attacked in some way comes forward and then is believed or not believed and often, often not believed. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's just historical truth. And so this, this one is, this one was tricky for me because We can we as we go through the plot we can kind of talk about all the details but yeah it's tricky.
2: Well what intrigued me and Brian was was the was the fallibility of memory. Obviously we did not have in mind making it analogous to like a woman you know, alleging a sexual assault. Um, You know, we wanted to make this very specifically sci-fi that, you know, Seven says that he took her nanoprobes and, you know, something like that. Had we, I guess, maybe thought about it a step further, we might have made it a different incident that was remembered differently. Yeah. Uh, But that's that's kind of where we were coming from as we wanted to to just look at how memory could be manipulated.
0: I think it's interesting because the fact that it is Seven of Nine In our show, playing a very physically attractive woman and casting a man who's kind of hyper aggressive from the start and then having an accusation from the woman to this man who fits a certain stereotype as well, just like Seven of Nine sort of fit a certain stereotype. It's inevitable that all those things added up. Yes, if it had been the doctor accusing a woman or I don't know, know, or a group of people or if, if yeah. the if the players had been shifted a little more differently than, than maybe a stereotypical kind of familiar story, it would have helped to separate that analogy from a, a classic sexual attack, assault of some kind or something. You
1: can't help but go to the issue yeah. when you use yeah. Seven of Nine. So I do feel that if it was thrown into a construct of It was Harry you know that was the one that was you know then people wouldn't have immediately this wouldn't be opening such a huge Pandora's box in a way right now you know I feel like a lot of people probably watching this episode were triggered in a way whereas in this episode it's very clear she was violated because her nanoprobes were taken from her without her consent, is what it was, right? That's her memory. I mean, why don't we just begin our episode? Yeah, as let's we go back do. and let's begin with a, our,
0: yeah, our normal kind of thing. Our
1: poetry synopsis. Let's start with that and then we'll we'll dive right into it. So this is my haiku for retrospect. Okay. All right, here we go. Here we go. Seven can't recall. Doc thinks repressed memory. Coven dies for naught. Oh, yeah. You know, and it was a difficult haiku for me to come up with because there's so many elements in this episode. Yes. So I was like, oh, do yeah. I begin with with the arms guy trying to sell weapons, you know, and then he's falsely accused and this and that. Blah, blah. And I was like, oh, gosh, it, like it's really difficult to, to you know, boil down the essence of a of a haiku synopsis for this for this uh, Yeah, this one was episode. tricky.
0: This one was tricky. All right, but let's see your uh, limerick. It was tricky. <laughs> Nonetheless, I may have one of my best limericks ever. So really? oh, We'll see. Oh my goodness. Let's hear Here it. Here we go with a little poetry limerick synopsis for retrospect. Coven's got new weapons to sell. Seven's memories are a new sort of hell. Doc's new therapy technique turns out to be weak. The whole incident was not handled very well wow bam, bam
2: bam bam <laughs>
1: good job rebecca good job <laughs> i'll never tell i know you want that. Um, i like that one that was a really smooth Thank smooth you. limerick good job good Thank you very job. much
2: yeah i imagine that was tricky because you don't really want to make light of it
0: yes no you know you don't want to be no. too too snarky we no. can be snarky and glib with a lot of them but this one yeah. is this one is Filled with a lot of landmines and a lot of sensitive and very real issues that I don't want to disrespect or claim to be an expert on. Yes. Yeah, so, Retrospect is a teleplay by Brian Fuller and Lisa Klink, our, mm-hmm. one, our esteemed guest, a uh, mm-hmm. story by Andrew Shepard Price and Mark Gaberman, directed Correct. by Jesus Salvador Trevino. I love it. Oh, Jesus. man. I wanted to say that. Okay. Let me ask you and Garrett. Yes. Who directed this episode? Oh, oh
1: yes, this was directed by one of our favorite directors, Jesus Salvador Trevino. Ah,
0: yes, I I like the way you say that. Thank you.
1: Let's talk about the guest stars real quick. We have two. We have Michael Horton, who played Coven. Michael Horton was also on Star Trek: First Contact and Star Trek: Insurrection, as well as many other guest star credits. But he has a podcast which I did not know. Does he really? Yes, he does. It's called Uh. Digital Production Buzz. He is the co-host of podcast Digital Production Buzz. He's also the founder of the Los Angeles Final Cut Pro User Group. So he clearly knows how to edit. Wow. Yeah, so that's Maybe he
0: went, because I did quick searches on some of these guest stars, and Mm. he seemed to have really stopped acting in the early 2000s. Right. You know, he had made a career of it for maybe 20 years, and then he seems to have. It appeared that he changed careers because he yeah. there weren't many acting credits or you know IMDb credits after that. Right, right. So I wonder if he went into if he's a Final Cut Pro guy, maybe he started editing or doing some post production work. Could like be, that yeah. could
1: be and he left the uh, acting world mm-hmm. we also have adrian sparks who played the Antharin magistrate i thought his, he was great oh my gosh have you looked at his uh theater credits I mean, he no. has stage credits longer than our bodies i wow. mean it's just so many stage credits it's unbelievable a lot of theater uh, a lot of guest stars uh, his most recent and memorable film role would have been in the movie purge the purge oh, wow. so sure. did that film that that Uh, crazy crazy film but Mm -hmm. uh, yeah so those are our two guest stars and let us begin with the first scene
0: let's talk about it
1: yeah we're on the bridge and we have Coven an arms dealer showing off the isokinetic cannon demonstration and I my notation was when we first see the Antharan Coven I said this is the spinal column forehead alien yes (laughs)
0: It was the yes. classic, put something <laughs> on the bridge of the nose yes. and up to the forehead. And it was a... Yeah, and it talk like about distracting. Column. Oh, it my was.
1: goodness. It, I could not look at anything but the spinal column, an exposed spinal column. And actually, depending was on what the angle, was.
0: like if it was yeah. a side angle, it was yeah. solid and you couldn't see through But if he turned to you, yeah. you there you were like see holes in this thing. Holes into it. Yes. I thought I was going to see his I, brain parts or I something. Can- <laughs>
1: It's it's definitely one of the more unique looking, uh, you know, forehead applications that the makeup department has come up with. Yes. Well, you know, so he's showing the canon Janeway's interested uh, and he says, sure. Well, how about uh, what are you going to trade for that? Janeway says, what about the astrometric charts that we have spanning Mm -hmm. 12 sectors? And he says, well, what about the mapping technology? says, well, that's really, you know, that's sort of, that's proprietary to our ship. It's not going to do you any good. So she says, what about isolinear processing chips? And then they start bargaining between those and they settle on 125 chips. The funniest line is at the end of that scene where he leaves and Tom Paris goes, that guy is worse than a Frankie. So that to me <laughs> was the best part of the, the scene. That was the
0: funniest. Yeah, yeah, because it was Thanks, you, Garrett. Just-
1: yeah, I just loved Thanks, it. It was, it was so good.
0: <laughs> I have a question, that Lisa. I yeah. found it odd that they were negotiating publicly on the bridge. Like <laughs> that's the kind of thing I would think you would do in the briefing room or the ready room or somewhere like. Okay, we've seen this thing on the view screen. Let's go talk in my office.
2: But yeah. they were. Well, that would have
0: made more sense, huh? Um, you know, I don't that, know,
1: <laughs> Robbie. That makes sense in the Alpha Quadrant, but when you're in the Delta Quadrant, the Wild go West,
0: anything goes. Yeah, you gotta go so you just, Yeah. Well, maybe yeah. it was you know there were some moments with Jane Wade looking at Chakotay and like there was yeah. a lot of you know and and well, he, he, Paris's funny line we wouldn't have had his funny line
1: yeah that yeah well actually it's a memorable line I'm gonna I'm gonna correct that it's not funny yes. it's a memorable line spoken okay. in the true Paris way the funniest part of this scene is just the shooting of it when he says well, what are you gonna get me and she looks back at Chakotay yeah and in my reaction video I wrote. You're going to bargain Chakotay? you know, I thought she was going to give him away yeah. for a taking- second. <laughs> well, what do you think about my first officer? I can give you him. That was the
0: funny point. In this I also episode. have another question, Lisa. Mm. So in the last episode before this, Seven got in big trouble. Yeah. Like as big as anyone has ever gotten in trouble on mm-hmm. our show in four years at this point, mm. you know, for disobeying the captain and numerous times and just just really being obstinate and difficult. And I think Garrett and I talked about it last week that, you know, I think the captain gave her way too much leniency and she should have been in the brig. for. If any of the rest of us had behaved the way Seven did in the last episode, we would have been demoted. We would have lost all privileges. We would have been in the brig. Like there's no way, but somehow she got away with it. And then when Chakotay talks about Seven, she says, go down and talk to Seven. Maybe we'll bring her back on. She's been behaving well. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, you just took away absolutely every privilege. Right. She's confined to the, you know, to her regeneration thing, no access to systems. And now she off camera somehow has been behaving well.
1: Well, you don't know the passage of time. You don't know how long it was. Yeah, there's right? definitely a
2: time it. cut involved here, she's in yeah. she's been very well behaved for the past, yeah. let's say, month or so. Yes. Okay, a
0: month. I don't know. I
2: just
0: <laughs> I was like. Yeah. I know we don't do serialized stories. Like that's not yeah. what we did. So, you know, even the reference to the fact that something happened before this episode is a miracle mm-hmm. that, that yeah. we even talk about it, but I, it would have been nice to see her have to grow. And I don't know this, not, not that this episode shouldn't have happened or whatever, but I would, I, I wish I feel like there was four or five episodes that could have happened for, for seven to have gotten to the place of, access and privilege and all of that like we sort of missed that opportunity anyway yeah
2: yeah i would agree with that
0: was that ever talked about when you guys were writing it or you just the assumption is she's got to be back in the game
2: no i think we really focused on on the needs of the individual story more than more than sort of the consistency of the arc over the season
0: yeah Mm -hmm.
1: okay 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 all right. Another uh-huh. thing that that we have from the last episode, continuing to this episode, Robbie, is poofy hair, Paris. There's yes. There's another. There's more poofy hair
0: in this. I episode. don't understand it. What's happening? I don't know. Okay. All right. I miss so we, the kind of swoop to do that I used to have. Yeah. In the, yeah. I, the, the the little
1: wave. Yeah. Okay. All right. So now we I can't. To, my
0: hair cannot be tamed, Garrett. <laughs> it's just. Why do you think you wear a hat we, all the time? Can't, I, just, I, don't want to, can't, I can't deal with it. It doesn't right. ever do the same thing twice.
1: We, we go to Astrometrics and Chicote has assigned uh seven to work with Coven and she's mm-hmm. not even happy about doing that. She doesn't want to do it. And he's like, Look, this is what's gonna happen. This is how you're gonna get into Janeway's good graces if you, you know, do this work and just yeah, and earn, earn, earn it. trust. Earn her trust, exactly. Exactly.
0: Then we go to engineering and Mm -hmm. Coven is explaining this weapons installation to Balana and Seven. And then Balana says, well, let me go check uh, on the field generator supplies or something. She's like, I'll be right back. So she heads out looking for their field generator status. Seven goes over to start programming in some of the stuff I guess Coven was talking about. Mm -hmm. And he looks over, he's like, what are you doing? And she tells him and he's like, you're not doing it right. He's again mansplaining, kind of fitting an archetype that we're familiar with of a toxic mansplaining kind of man. And he reaches over and kind of pushes her out of the way so he can input this data. And she responds with, you know, kind of get your hands off me. And there's a brief, it it almost looks like a scuffle, like they don't separate, you know, he tries to move her. She puts her hands on him. There's a bit of a scuffle and bam, she hits him in the face. And the stunt man who did the stunt, it was very funny to me because you literally see him off his feet. Like I guess Seven's got a little extra strength, but <laughs> it was funny because he just went whoop boom. He's like up <laughs> and down. It was a funny little hit to me. I liked it. Definitely.
2: Well, obviously we were trying to make him kind of obnoxious. Yes. Uh, I mean, the, the term was. mansplaining did not exist at the time, but uh, mm. yes, he was mansplaining, um, and so we wanted to make us sympathetic with Seven wanting to to knock his lights out.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I was just happy that someone other than Harry was being hit by seven. So I (laughs) was so ecstatic to see that. That's a good thing. All right, let's move to the
0: next scene, Robbie. Yeah, we go to sickbay and Coven's nose is broken and he is pissed (laughs) and he's blaming seven that she's out of control and she's crazy and Janeway's listening. And I think B'Elanna's in there and B'Elanna says something like, yeah, I could, I was 10 feet away and I could Here he was being rude and he may have put his hands on her. So he's pissed off. He's angry. And Janeway's trying to be a non-biased person, even with COVID at this point. So I I did get that in that moment that, all right, she's trying not to jump to defending Seven or jump to blaming Seven. She's trying to be a neutral party here and be fair. So I thought that was established very early. And then she'll head off to talk to Seven. Do you remember anything about that scene?
2: Uh, Well, I... I liked the, Roxanne's delivery of one line when she was talking about, "Yeah, we had to hold her back." Yeah, uh, you know, you could tell that she kind of wanted to let Seven go. Yeah, you know, and let and let her, you know, go to town on this guy. Yeah, so I, I find that kind of amusing. And sort of, but yeah, I mean, the the scene sort of establishes everybody's attitudes, you know, toward this guy, toward Seven, and mm-hmm. you're right, Janeway really is trying very hard to be impartial.
0: Yeah, and did you recognize the lab coat on mm-hmm. Roxanne Dawson uh, during uh, yes, the pregnancy, pregnancy. coat? Yeah, the pregnancy code and all the close-ups. <laughs> You'd never see B'Elanna in a wide shot in <laughs> yes. this episode. Oh, by the way, this reminds me, i know we never saw Neelix in this episode. What? Neelix was not in this
2: yeah, episode. I guess you're right. Zero. I don't know why that is. I don't know. What?
0: Yeah. I didn't know if you had any thoughts about that. or. Yeah. Um, I, I, don't, I don't
2: remember I, specifically cutting him out for any particular reason, if, if the actor was unavailable or, or yeah. if there just really wasn't a role for him. I don't know yeah sometimes
0: it's hard to service writing for a a really large ensemble cast and there's just not you're trying to fit enough story in there and there's not an opportunity so but i didn't know if you had any memories of that
2: yeah no writing for the entire ensemble every single episode was difficult
0: yeah Mm -hmm.
1: yeah Mm -hmm. you know i'm sure ethan phillips was happy to have the time off and not be in the makeup chair so that was
0: probably good for him right okay Moving to the next scene. Yeah, we go to the ready room. Janeway asks Seven, you know, what happened? And <laughs> I love Janeway in the scene. She's just like, what am I going to do? Like, I have tried everything. I am at a loss. She mm-hmm. just I thought Kate's performance was great. And Seven goes, are you asking my opinion on what you should do? And Janeway's like, sure, why not? Because, <laughs> you know, throwing you in the brig is not going to work. Mm-hmm. Everything I can think of, nothing seems to work. So again, that's establishing, uh, sort of resolving the dynamic from the last episode with them and dealing with it, acknowledging it. But also sort of, it's setting up, I think in a way that in this story, that Seven's uh, very different. I think that serves this story to say that Seven is, you know, is a different kind of crew member than anybody else. Mm-hmm. It puts us in a more challenging place as we try to solve the mysteries.
2: I always really like the Seven-Janeway relationship. You know, and, and Janeway's attitude in this whole episode is that she wants to support Seven. She wants Seven to feel like she mm-hmm. has her back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that comes into play a little bit here and that she's not just sort of knee-jerk punishing her right. in some way, but she's trying to sort of get her involved And in how are we going to work together on this. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah, I do like the line that you wrote. You have to start learning the difference between having an impulse and acting on it. And that leads to my question Since you co-wrote this with Fuller, did you guys just alternate between scenes or did you sit there and brainstorm and together and throw down the dialogue? How did that happen?
2: It's funny, I, I really enjoyed working with Brian. Uh, this was the first year he was on the show and we were really good friends and, and it was it was so much fun writing a script with him. Mm-hmm. At first we tried doing it, both of us sitting in the same room with one of us at the keyboard and kind of talking and mm-hmm. after about half an hour we realized that was not going to work at all. <laughs> so uh, I think what we did is, is trade off. You know, you do the teaser, I'll try act one, you do act two and then we swapped and, and rewrote a little bit. Yeah, Well,
1: that's really interesting to hear about the process because when we talk to Braga, he and Minoski do do the sitting in the same room together.
2: Yeah, it's tricky when you have a writing partner, especially when it's somebody that you're partnering with for the first time. Yes. uh, You know, you kind of have to figure out the rules of the partnership as you go.
0: Understood. How many scripts did you write with Brian? Was this the only one? one. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we go back to uh, Sick Bay after Mm -hmm. Janeway's Ready Room Mm -hmm. and the doctor is trying to do a checkup on Seven, just a regular checkup. But she is oddly stressed out now since this punching the guy in engineering. Mm -hmm. She seems oddly distracted and stressed out as he examines her. I I, I made a note how funny I thought Bob was in this scene. He was very funny. And I think that the doctor's arrogance, which I find very entertaining, it's very important (laughs) in the story. Yes, it is. It's to me the key to the others having some innocence in this that he's the guy, actually, in many ways, that sort of fuels this fire. Which I think now that you mentioned that preschool story, I see the analogy that you intended more clearly that, you know, that uh, Seven is really led by the doctor here Mm -hmm. in creating a story that is not really accurate.
2: Yeah, I mean, this, this seems like, you know, a seven episode kind of on the surface, but I, I think you're right that it really is a doctor story as well. Yeah. And that he's the one that kind of goes through the full arc of wanting to be helpful and then kind of going a little too far with it and then ultimately regretting it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that, that he's the one that has sort of the, the development here.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. absolutely. So, Robbie, you
1: find the doctor's arrogance as entertaining and comical.
0: I love it. He makes me laugh. He just makes me the more arrogant, the better. It's amazing. It's funny. I'm the
1: opposite of you. I just find it so annoying.
2: I think it's hilarious. You guys love it. (laughs) I I love it when uh, when we can give the doctor, you know, sort of the extreme emotions of, you know, extremely Mm -hmm. arrogant or, Mm -hmm. you know, full of himself.
0: Yeah. Let me digress a little off this story for a minute, Lisa, while you're here, because I made a note and I was thinking about Emotions and how both Seven and the doctor are really developing these emotional experiences, which really are unique to human beings. And I know Seven is part human, part bored, you know, embracing her humanity in a lot of ways, but the doctor is a hologram. He's a program. So, like, the idea of emotions is a tricky one there. Like, did you guys talk about how far can we go with the doctor in terms of his humanity or? Because he really does experience regret and shame and arrogance and all of the human emotions in a way that um, is tricky when you're talking about he's a computer program, you know.
2: Well, I think that we really did kind of lean into it, into the, the fact that he would have probably been programmed with at least basic emotions Mm -hmm. To be more empathetic to his patients, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to have a little more of a bedside manner. Because even though he's an emergency hologram, he is still a doctor.
0: Right. Um,
2: And so we kind of assumed that he would have been programmed with some basic compassion and empathy and that he would have had the capacity to kind of grow beyond that. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the ways he grew was, of course, in, you know, conceit.
0: (laughs) Right. Yes, absolutely. There's a school of psychotherapy that I just, Heard about yesterday, literally. And this uh, psychiatrist broke down that humans are born with nine effects, he calls them. This, therapy, this psychiatrist. And effects are biological things that only are unique to humans. And the effects are things like shame is an effect, joy is an effect. And that those effects that are biological in us as human beings react in situations, in circumstances to those circumstances and create feelings. So feelings are a result of effects that are biological in us, right? That's his theory. And so I was thinking about that school of psychiatry as I watched this episode today, because I'm like, well, he's a computer program. He doesn't have effects. He doesn't have biological abilities to interact with a circumstance. And the result is a feeling, an experience, Mm -hmm. It's a program. I I mean, I guess it's programmed like, yeah, we could talk about this for a long time, but like, I guess it's programmed in him, just like seven has it in her board technology, certain feelings, but there's limitations to those feelings. And some of them may be discovered for the first time. And um, yeah, I find this episode to be pretty challenging on that front for both seven and the doctor, because they're experiencing some pretty heavy and deep human emotions yeah and it's a real stretch this one for me to be able to give them that okay they have those feelings with mm-hmm. those kind I of think we uh, also
2: took a, a cue a little bit from data's emotionship you mm-hmm. know the idea that you know that such thing could exist <laughs> you know, that you could mm-hmm. program you know artificial right. intelligent being with emotions and mm-hmm. again data seemed to genuinely feel them i mean it wasn't just a simulation of it mm-hmm. um, and so we figured if, if data can do it, then the doctor can do it.
0: Mm. Like I said, I always enjoyed Bob Picardo's performance of his arrogance and his talking about himself in such grandiose ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just made me laugh. And the and same with Seven. I, mm-hmm. I find the non-human characters when they are awkwardly trying to replicate a human experience or, or understand it. I find that the best version of Trek.
2: And it's interesting with Seven because she resisted her humanity. Yeah. At first, you know, that she didn't want to sort of give in to what she saw as like her softer yeah. self, you know, her more vulnerable self. Mm-hmm. And, you know, episodes like this, you know, really kind of force her to, to at least experience that human side, mm-hmm. you know, that that she did yeah. not want to have.
1: Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. And we're still in um sick bay. And Janeway is now being briefed by the doctor. Yes. He feels that it's memory suppression. That's mm-hmm. what's going on.
0: He's very excited. And we discover later that he's been studying all of these therapy or you know psychiatric uh, manuals and he's uh, you know wants to put into practice some of his these new things that he's learned and even Janeway says oh I didn't know that you uh, had therapeutic uh, you know psychiatry built into your program or something and Mm -hmm. he's like oh I'm it's brand new so Mm -hmm. you know he's a rookie at all this and he's going to make some Big mistake. I thought that was great. I love the movement through Sick Bay. You know, we went from one side of Sick Bay to the other. I thought Jesus did a great job of staging it and moving around Sick Bay in a way that gave the scene some nice energy.
2: Well, I think that part of our goal was to sort of draw in the audience almost on the doctor's side, you know, and that we sympathize mm-hmm. with him and we empathize, you know, with him wanting to improve himself and that he thinks, you know, oh, I have all these great new programs and I can be so much more useful to you. Mm-hmm. You know, that we wanted the audience to be on his side yeah um so that as he goes through and as he sort of gets these more extreme you know kind of leading seven through recollection of her experience and what it turns out to be an invented experience we wanted him to have the audience sympathy as he went through that Mm -hmm. so that we would be as surprised as he was Mm. and you know that it turns out not to be so
0: so sorry to keep pausing but i love i love your answers and your insight on this so um In the end of this episode, spoiler alert for those who haven't (laughs) seen it recently, um, in the end, we never really are told how these memories turned so specific. Was she remembering uh, specific things that happened when she was a Borg? Because the images that we saw as an audience, which I will assume is what Seven was seeing in her brain, the images were of sickbay and the doctor was even in some of these and then Coven was in them and the lab that she was in, and the person next to her. Like she saw very specific things. How was the doctor leading her through? I didn't hear the doctor implant those memories, or he he just said things like, What do you see? So why was she imagining that? I guess. Do you know what I'm saying?
2: Well, I think we tried to give Janeway what turned out to be the explanation, which was, you know, when she suggests, you know, you've had all these experiences as a Borg. Mm-hmm. You know, of, of essentially being assaulted mm-hmm. and watching other people get assimilated. And, you know, she also presumably has the memories of all of the other Borg drones mm-hmm. and what, mm-hmm. what their experiences in life had been. Mm-hmm. And so I guess my interpretation, you know, was that Seven was conflating memories that she had from, from her Borg experience, from other Borg drones. Mm. You know, okay. that she has presumably millions of people's life histories in her mind. and from those i think she kind of confabulated this memory along with you know this you know perhaps unpleasant experience that she had dealing with this you know unpleasant guy Mm -hmm. and you know they said at one point the the weapon did discharge and so there was you know a little bit of you know uncomfortable experience yeah
0: that makes sense it totally makes sense. and again if we were a more serialized show and we're tracking this story through later episodes I would suggest that we might want to be careful with Seven if her experiences are prone to confabulation or fantasy, that that should have been tracked. Like, yeah, uh, you know, should we trust Seven in this particular situation because this is one of her weaknesses? Anyway, I think, you know, if we tracked episodes, I would say this tells us Seven is not a reliable person for certain situations. Um anyway but we didn't yeah
1: well i i would have liked to have seen some type of scene which would have shown the parallel memories that she got confused with this these mm. memories do you know what i'm saying if there yeah. was some something where she was like oh oh okay this is what i really remembered and it's not really it wasn't coven it was a, an assimilation of another mm. uh, species another alien that we that happened in stardate you know, blah blah blah. I I would have liked to seen that. I don't I don't know if that would have been too on the nail on the on the head right there, but it just it, like Robbie said, you, we're it leaves you wondering. It's like, well, then how did she have these thoughts? You know, where did these come from? Mm-hmm. And there really isn't an explanation of like, well, these are just all the, uh, all the people that have been assimilated and all the, all the, the group collective Borg memory that she's had, that's kind of um, infected her memories or made her think that she had these issues with COVID when she really didn't, you know? So you're just kind of sitting there going,
0: Hmm. It's funny. Um, it's funny because this sci-fi version of this story is so difficult and challenging and complicated to kind of put all the puzzle pieces together and deconstruct Mm -hmm. that it just is a reminder of how complicated the real life version of these situations are so complicated and there's Mm -hmm. no easy answers and Mm -hmm. and there's often not clarity for the people who are trying to be impartial and have good intentions to help sort these things out that, uh, you know, just like the doctor had good intentions, yeah, but mm-hmm. sort of went down a road that ultimately was a bad road to go down for COVID. Yeah. Real bad. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, yeah, a very complicated episode i don't envy you having to try to write it and uh back in the day and you and brian to sort all this out
1: all right now we're in a cargo bay and the doctor starts beginning his psychiatric treatments of seven which slowly but surely seven now realizes that it was coven who extracted the borg implants from her the nanoprobes and that he violated her so this is a very long scene with the doctor and seven but uh, but needed, you need a long scene in order to get to that final moment of her having this f- uh, false realization, uh, as it turns out, but right now a very real realization. Any thoughts about this particular scene?
2: Well, the the word that she uses, you know, I was violated, mm. obviously does have, you know, a lot of it's used most often, you know, with a sexual assault. Correct. Um, and so I think we were very careful about using that word and and realizing that it would have, you know, a parallel, but, you know, that's, you know, always kind of what we're shooting for with, with the sci-fi story is that it has some relation to the real world. And here's where I th- also think that the doctor, he's not exactly implanting suggestions, but I think that he is steering her a bit, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and it's subtle. And we wanted it to be subtle. We didn't want to have him just come out and go, "Oh, you mean you were attacked?" But he is kind of pushing at the at the edges a little bit, and yeah. you know, trying to make it fit in his mind with her, you know, PTSD kind of reactions. Yeah, exactly.
1: All right, let's move on to the planet surface where we have Paris.
0: Yes, he's, we do. He's, he's fluffy hair, guns. Paris. He's, yes, but he's
1: so lucky he gets to fire a bunch of guns, uh, phaser yes. rifles, disruptor rifles. I mean, he's he's got all the weapons there and he's testing them. Uh, Coven is there. Seven is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the weapons that Paris is firing, he talks about how it's not as accurate. And uh, that's when Seven chimes in. Well, if we used a thermal imaging then that would increase the accuracy by 20 something percent. Coven says I can fix that right now and that's when they start walking away to the laboratory. Paris says I'm going to stay here and and fire more weapons. Like <laughs> I'm going to be a guy. Yes. Let's a pause right there. Man. Yeah. Let's
0: pause right there for a second. Okay. So in the boy scouts they tell you about this thing called the buddy system. Yes. And when you <laughs> go somewhere you stay with your buddy right you didn't do that <laughs> and so there's me and seven with a bunch of strangers yeah. who have guns well, yeah. and we go hey i'm just gonna stay here by myself and you go by yourself so my takeaway is this whole thing is my fault because tom <laughs> let her go by herself if he had gone with her <laughs> then there could be no Memory because you got the buddy system,
1: right? But the other funny thing is this you can see there's probably a total of five weapons on the ground, total, yeah. right? Not she's many. gone for two, two hours. hours. It's not going to take you two hours to no. fire all five of those weapons. No, at some <laughs> point, and maybe the half hour mark, you would have said, hmm well, let me go check on seven, right? But you that would didn't think, happen. Yeah, you would but, think.
0: But here's the other thing. We know Tom is not that smart because <laughs> he says about this terawatt particle beam thing, yeah. he says, oh, this rifle's a lot easier to handle than our Starfleet compression rifles. But when mm. I look at the prop, it's mm. like bulky and big. And yeah, our it's, Starfleet it's, compression rifles look super cool and small and sleek. Mm. And this thing looks like an old world war one it just looks awkward it looks so awkward he's not, tom thinks that's a better rifle <laughs> clearly he's not a smart guy no
1: i'm not going to criticize tom tom's still smart i think he's a is, sweet guy he's that, a nice that guy. is that's the props department they should have come yes, up with something true. that didn't look so awkward right yes. that would have made more yeah. sense
2: what's well, funny because when i was doing the rewatch i was wondering why isn't it tubac security officer exactly why is the pilot why on earth did we send
0: paris down there i don't know there were so many (laughs) things wrong with tom being down (laughs) on that planet
1: uh it would have made more sense for harry to be down there the operations officer than tom the pilot right but yes logically speaking it should have been the tactical security chief tuvok
2: yeah i I don't know what on earth we were thinking.
0: Did you ever speaking of thinking in Tuvok and all of a sudden I went, duh? So if this is a repressed memory situation, why wasn't Tuvok's Vulcan Mind Meld oh, ever yeah. thought of? Oh yeah. Why didn't Tuvok use that? On Could it? have just solved all this, right? Could have.
2: Well, I think that we we didn't want to go to the mind meld well too often. Yeah. You know, we didn't ah. want to make it something that that he just did, you know, all the time. Yeah. You know, we wanted to have it be really special. And since the doctor felt like he had a handle on it. You know, there was no reason to go and say, "Here, come mm-hmm. and do this." You know, sacred ceremony that is, you know, m- makes a big deal to Vulcans. Mm-hmm. When the doctor felt like he was handling it, mm-hmm. right? Okay,
0: yeah, it totally makes sense. And and I would think I I don't know about mind melds if they I'm trying to think back to like ex post facto with uh, when Tom had this memory and Tuvok did the mind meld, he saw the implanted memory. He did. He wasn't seeing truth. He was seeing. Mm-hmm what I thought was truth. So I don't know if it would have made any difference if Tuvok had mind melded. He might have seen what Seven thought she remembered mm. and not necessarily seen, yeah. you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, I agree.
0: You remember that scene shooting the weapons down there on stage 16? I
1: have no memory 16? of it, zero <laughs> yeah. memory of it. I'm guessing that's stage 16, yes. I'm sure I, it oh, was. Yeah, it I think
0: been. it's because they blue dry my hair so long to get that poofy look. Yeah, that the heat from the hair dryer sort it, of just... Your it memory. affected my memory. I knew so it. I don't, I don't I remember it. <laughs> with the poofy hair. But do you really uh,
2: remember what you think you remember? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Do
0: you, Robbie? Do you really remember what you think you remember? <laughs> I love it. I just gotta say that the cool flashbacks looked—they looked super sweet. Um, they were sort of black and white, but there was—but this... not
1: full black and white. It was just no. Some
0: color was gone, right? It was only red. I don't know if you noticed, but it was oh, only no. red. Huh. No. And. Red in the, in the kind of art world or the uh, symbolic world uh, can mean love, can mean death. It's a very important color in art in things like that. So I feel like that was chosen specifically by either Jesus or Marvin Rush or something, mm-hmm. that these memories would be color timed and, and shot in a way that, that it was mostly desaturated color, almost black and white, except for red.
2: Yeah, that would make sense.
0: Yeah.
1: Is that a really easy process, Robbie?
2: I mean, as long as you have it in
0: your production design, the sets are sort of designed in a way that uh, there's only one color present. It could be mm-hmm. any color. It could be yellow. Mm-hmm. It could be blue. But if everything else is sort of in gray tones, then in color timing or color correction, you can pick out the one color that is present and turn that into any color you want. If you, if you had blue lights in the background and every the rest of the set was gray you could change it to red lights and color timing it's kind of like instagram filters okay i feel like the magic of of filmmaking with instagram has ruined all that because (laughs) people see now that you can turn a photo into anything you want you could change the color you can change the the focal kind of qualities you could do all kinds of things so um yeah you can just dial you hit some buttons and the colors change.
1: That's an interesting catch that you saw that red was the one color that was left. All right. We're in the briefing room. Now we have the doctor, we have Janeway, we have Tuvok, we have Paris and Tuvok, you know, is sort of, everyone's sort of questioning this whole thing. and Tuvok, especially like, wait a minute, what about the hallucinations that seven had before, you know? So there's a lot of just banter back and forth about, you know, what's going on. Did this really happen? Could this be not a real act? you know, vision, or did this really, did this really happen? Is the, is the, is the theme of this scene pretty much. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Tuvok literally says repressed memory, historically repressed memories have proven to be unreliable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big part of your theme or your thesis on this episode, Lisa. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it uh, is that, you know, I, cause again, everybody's instinct is to believe Seven. Right. You know, if, because she's, she's their crew member. She's the person that they trust. Mm-hmm. You know, but we wanted to definitely throw a bunch of uncertainty at it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was nice to hear that. And Tom even, I think, had a line where he said, well, I saw her afterwards and she seemed fine. Right. And, you know, That's nothing right. seemed wrong with her. So mm-hmm. he was a little skeptical. Tubak was skeptical. Mm-hmm. But yet the doctor is very passionate. And he's using science here. He's like, yeah. scientifically, I'm not making this up. It's science. He
2: mm-hmm. did want to throw a bunch of different points of view. Um, you know, again, Tuvok saying, you know, the repressed memories and the doctor saying, no, wait, wait, this is accurate. Yeah. And make it pretty much as difficult to make up your mind as as possible. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. Good. We go uh, to Janeway's ready room next. Yes. Coven's in there. He's mad. He's not happy. He is mad. Janeway is kind of interrogating him. And I will say it does feel in this scene like Janeway is the good guy and Coven's the bad guy. Mm -hmm. Yep. It mm-hmm. definitely feels like, uh, she wants to examine his lab. He's like, no, mm-hmm. He's like, what do you have to hide? You know, mm-hmm. that's an interesting concept of like, if someone says no, then that is assumed evidence of guilt in some way. Yeah. And it, it did remind me of like, you know, taking the fifth amendment or, th- you know, the fifth amendment, like I, I'm not going to say I, just because I say, I don't want to, um, testify. hmm about something doesn't mean I have any guilt. It just means I don't want to testify. Exactly. Period. I don't want to speak to you. I don't Mm -hmm. have to speak to you.
2: But as you Um, said, it is kind of human nature to think, well, what am I mm doing?
0: Yes. mm -hmm. Yeah. If you were innocent, you would not have a problem. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it is. It is human nature for sure. The next thing that happens, where are we next?
1: Uh, Well, Janeway wants to basically conduct an investigation, which, you know, he says, well, I guess I have no choice, right? So now we're in vox quarters is what it looks like
0: um because i
1: was looking around i was like is this the mess hall no it's too small it's two bucks quarters Mm -hmm. and tuvok begins this interrogation of coven and tuvok sort of assures him that you know this is going to be a fair fair investigation we're Mm -hmm. gonna we're not going to be biased um we're just going to be objective and let me start questioning you about different things and so um you know, it it goes fairly well. I like when
0: Coven at one point, he's like, okay, I'll apologize. I'll say, I'm sorry. Yeah. Tuvok's like, I am not seeking a statement of remorse.
1: Yes, yes, Yeah. I (laughs) love that line.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember, did you write that or Brian or who knows?
2: Uh, Probably me.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what I assume, because I know you love writing for Tuvok, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I am not seeking a statement of remorse. Mm -hmm. Very, very Tuvokian. (laughs) <laughs> for sure
1: good line
0: yes
2: well i like in, the, in this scene that coven is starting to get a little more sympathetic mm-hmm. um you know because i think at one point he says to tuvok you seem like a man of your word mm-hmm. yes you know which kind of makes us like him a little bit more right uh, which again should, you know hopefully they'll muddy the waters a little bit more that you know maybe he's not just you know this this obnoxious guy
0: mm-hmm. Sick mm-hmm. Bay is next and the doctor is I wrote down just stoking the fires here. He's yeah, totally he pushing Seven. Seven's anger and resentment. You've got to feel mm-hmm. these feelings. Seven is insisting that she doesn't want any part of this. And the doctor right. says, you have to. You've got to accept that these feelings exist. And you ha- that's that's how you can deal with them. And now he's reminding her at this point that, look, this guy violated your individuality and acted like a coward. And now he's starting to put much more of the specifics of the story in her mind.
1: How did you guys feel about the blocking? Because at one point, Ricardo <sighs> walks right behind. Standing seven. like,
0: yeah. you remember, they would often tell us like, hey, can you walk over here and stay, no, closer, closer. And they'd push us into these frames because it was that old format. It was tight. It, it, and, that old
1: format was there Robbie uh-huh. but in that shot there was so much space to the right and to the left of both actors
0: you must remember like sometimes they'd say okay we need you guys to be real close but we didn't see the frames like i I might get too close but I don't know I'm too close because yeah, I'm trying to do true. what they told me that's true. just get real close that's and true. I have to leave it to them to say oh no that was too close you can back up a little so if they yeah. didn't say that to Bob he may not have maybe known that because I agree with you it was a little yeah. It, it felt stagey. It did, you know. It just it felt like I get the point that he's enthusiastic and he's trying to kind of, you know, like um, you know, direct her, lead her down these, these, um, these memories and these mm-hmm. feelings. Mm-hmm. But he didn't need to be an inch and a half away from her. Yeah, it was awkward.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, this is you know, again, him, the doctor, kind of stepping it up, and he thinks he's being very empathetic. Mm-hmm. you know and that he's you know he's he's feeling sort of her feelings with her you know and the outrage and the you know it's, it's kind of the next step in his journey of you know starting off you know just asking her about her memories and now mm-hmm. he's sort of telling her what her feelings should be um and so it, it's his escalation
0: yeah this yeah. is definitely escalated yeah i i definitely yeah. saw that too good so maybe that, that closeness worked then for this yeah year.
2: in a way i mean it it isn't a bad thing if mm-hmm. if the viewer felt a little uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. And I did. I did. I really did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're jumping over to, to the uh, lab. Yeah. Coven's, Coven's laboratory lab. on the, on the Tharan planet surface.
0: And the doctor now has a lot yeah. of confidence. He's acting like a detective here. Yeah. And yeah. they, they do find some activated board nanoprobes on the, on the countertop there. And it does look like, maybe these stories were true, you know? Yeah. So and, again, complicated situation. Yeah,
1: and the magistrate just jumps on that. He doesn't even need to see anything. He's just like, oh, no. But, you know, we were set up for that later because Coven initially in this conversation with Janeway in the ready room, he said, listen, this, this is something that can really mess with, you know, my, um, like we have rules in dealing with aliens and we, when trading with aliens and any small deviation from these rules Mm-hmm. Is going to have major repercussions, you know, against against my business and my my livelihood, essentially, mm-hmm. right? And right off the bat, yep, the magistrate just sees one little 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 tiny little piece of evidence, and he's like, "Okay, that's it. You're detained now, um, mm-hmm. pending official proceedings." Right? And Coven draws a weapon and says, "I can't let this happen." He beams out. Tuvok contacts Janeway. Janeway asks the magistrate, do you want us to follow him, track him? The magistrate says, yes, and I want to be there. So the entire party beams onto uh, Voyager's bridge at that point.
2: Well, it's interesting if you, you know, again, look, go back and rewatch it, you know, Coven is right, you know, that everything he says is true you know, he says, I'm going to be prejudged about this. Mm-hmm. And he is, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, he says, you know, about, you know, what happened that she, she got, you know, the weapon overloaded and that's why there are nanoprobes there. And yeah. it's true. Yeah. Um, and it's just because you don't like him that you don't want to believe him. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So true. Agreed. So they beam back up, they start tracking Coven's ship. He's on the run um Tricote says in this scene the fact that he's running proves that he's got something to hide like mm-hmm. you're, you're again it's, it is kind of human nature that to to be suspicious of someone who doesn't want to be cooperative <laughs> totally cooperative so coven escapes
1: by generating a photonic pulse which takes out all of our sensors we have no sensors they're offline and he's gone he's gone when we jump to the science lab, and Janeway and Tuvok are now testing the weapons that they brought back from Coven's lab, and they realize that they can't find em- any evidence uh, supporting Seven's accusations of being violated.
2: Well, the bridge scene I, again. The the whole reason was, you know, as Robbie just said, you know, that it's our, our reaction is why isn't he cooperating? Mm-hmm. You know, and and it just sort of. Again, in in the context of we already don't like this guy and don't trust this guy, mm-hmm. in that context, it looks much more suspicious. And in a way, it feels like evidence against him. Mm-hmm. And then we go to the science lab in which we're looking for actual evidence and we're not finding it. Right. And so that hopefully starts to kind of throw into relief the way that our feelings are kind of everybody's feelings are kind of taking over and you know they're getting carried away with it. Mm-hmm. When if you actually stop and kind of look at the facts, they're telling you something else. Mm
0: mm-hmm. Okay, so the next uh, scene is Janeway and Tuvok kind of discussing where they're at with things. You know, we've got some evidence, some feelings, like you said, Lisa, about guilt. We've got some, what we think is evidence. We're going to finally take a look at this. We're going to reenact the rifle malfunction and mm-hmm. we're going to use a hypospray to sort of reenact that and see how the uh, nanoprobes react and if they would re- react that way from what Kel- coven had described right. and they do this seven is is still furious she's just her anger seems to have built and built mm-hmm. and uh she will not be satisfied unless he's held accountable mm-hmm. and uh, they do this and We goes and takes a look under the microscope and she's like mm-hmm. uh doc you need to come take a look at this and he does mm-hmm. and coven was right the nanoprobes are reacting uh, in the way that he described and so they realize that this memory is not real and the story is not true or they can't be certain put it that right. way they certainly they cannot be certain that it's true and it could possibly mm. be a, a deeper Borg memory like you described earlier Lisa you know her own personal experience as a Borg or maybe the memories of other Borg that have been implanted. So Mm -hmm. all of a sudden they've got real evidence.
1: The nanoprobe reactivation is identical. The pattern is identical to what, what they found in the lab. Yeah.
2: I remember it was a bit of a challenge to come up with the techno babble behind, you know, (laughs) (laughs) what what kind of evidence could we find here exactly? (laughs) Right. You know, and, and nanoprobes get reactivated. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, That's, that's,
2: That's That's the the ticket. ticket. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) But I mean, I like that our heroes, you know, that Janeway and Tuvok and even the doctor are behaving honorably, you know, and that when they see this evidence, they don't just try and like, well, we won't tell anybody what we found. I mean, that they, they, they're willing to admit that they could be wrong. You know, even Mm -hmm. the doctor, you know, who is so passionate and so forceful you know, has to has to kind of take a step back and say, I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And the fact that our people are willing to do that, I think is you know what makes them our heroes. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Okay. Good. Now we we jump to the bridge and we have tracked Coven. We've we we're chasing after him. And we send a message to him, we get him on the view screen, and way tells him that we have the evidence that you are innocent. What you were saying is correct. It was just an overload of the of the rifle. And Coven's like, no, this is just a trap to bring me in. And, and I, I don't believe you. And he keeps firing on Voyager and our shields are weakening. But we also detect that if he keeps firing, there can be an overload on his end. And yes. he doesn't listen to us at all. He doesn't listen to Jane. Yeah, Way.
0: Janeway's like, Harry, beam him over here. And you're like, no, he's yeah. got his shields up. Yeah. And maybe I can maybe a, I can override his shields, I think you say scattering was, beam is what it was. Yeah. It was scattering beam. There, I was like, come on, so... faster, Harry, faster. No. Run, I know. Harry, run. I was like, I can you? I, but you I couldn't do it fast enough.
1: I really, really felt bad. But I thought You were that his was... last hope. I was, but uh, I did like my reaction to not being able to get him though. It was definitely Did you cry? I didn't cry, but I was very upset inside. I could I could see that oh. there. Yeah. <laughs> that i didn't save the guy
0: you didn't so. see it but tom paris cried he sobbed like <laughs> it was all off camera okay. but it was much it was a much bigger reaction uh, so it oh. was huge it all was right <laughs> okay i was like pounding the console <laughs> no it was huge i don't know why they didn't leave it in the episode i thought it was really yeah you did didn't you go
1: <laughs> COVID? like that you fell to your knees and you did that i'm sure i must have done that but they didn't leave it that's what you did they didn't yeah yeah, that was on the editing room floor
2: well again coven is kind of right in that he's totally right not to trust us at this point and that you know he he perceives correctly that we were biased against him yeah um and that's that was something that we really wanted you know to keep consistent was that Mm. coven actually doesn't overreact very much you know that that he is in fact trapped in a situation that that is totally out of his hands right. and what he what he tries to do is escape and he's probably sensible to do so
1: mm. do you think that his fight he knew that it was going to overload that this that was his way of basically just ending his own life do you think or do you think that was no, just a mistake i I, I,
2: the... I, th- I think i assumed it was a mistake okay all right but, that i mean he's not sense. he's not a warrior that you know he's a, he's an arms dealer and you probably just right is kind of caught up in the moment of, of trying yeah. to get away
0: well it's desperate people backed into a corner do desperate things and he wasn't yeah. i yeah i think it was probably just a desperate oversight Reaction. that he didn't yeah. know he just kept firing uh-huh. to protect yeah. himself because he was desperate and didn't right. wasn't aware of the fact that it was overloading makes sense we have a, a doctor's log here i always am surprised when i hear anyone other than janeway's yeah, the doctor is very sad. Seven enters for her weekly maintenance, and he basically goes, "Okay, this looks good. That looks good. See you next week." It a great little moment of like, "Yeah, yeah." Oh, his, yeah. his enthusiastic and super detailed checkup at the beginning of the episode is now turned yeah. into this, yeah you know short this
1: is the second time the doctor has been really sad the first time was when he had to shut that one door um between the decks remember that mm-hmm. and the Jeffreys tube and then oh, all yeah. the crew members died there so he felt really sad in that moment and now he's equally sad uh and seven um seven basically tells the doctor that she's having issues with she can't stop thinking about the coben's uh, passing his death and that she feels guilty or or she has remorse Remorse, is what the doctor says, right? The doctor says that's remorse is what you're feeling. And she says, well, I don't want to feel this. You know, I want this to end fast, quickly. And he says, well, I can't help you with that. This is something that you're going to have to live with. It will dissipate with time, but there's nothing that I can do. And so she shrugs her shoulders and walks out. And that's when we cut on the doctor and he says, but there is something I can do. And then we go to the the ready room. So before you go to the ready room, any any comments on the sickbay scene with the doctor and Seven, Lisa?
2: Well, I think that my favorite line, which I'm pretty sure that Brian wrote, was uh, Seven saying something about you know, I as a Borg, I assisted in the destruction of millions, Mm -hmm. you know, but I regret this one being's death. Yes, yes. Uh, I really like that line.
1: Mm. Yeah. So that's Fuller. That's Brian writing that one. Okay. Yeah, that was a great line. Agreed. Now we're in Janeway's ready room, and the doctor is there, and he basically tells Janeway, I would like to delete the algorithms, which are responsible for expanding my abilities beyond my original programming. I have lost my objectivity and I just want to stop this now. And she's looking at him like, you want to reset to how we first met you, you know, when we Mm -hmm. (laughs) were thrown into the Delta quadrant, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to lose everything that you've built through all this time, through these years And he says, yes. And she says, nope, I'm not going to allow it. I'm not going to allow that. And in a way, what Janeway says to the doctor is what what the doctor said to seven in the prior scene. You're going to have to live with this. You're going to have to feel this, these emotions, and you're going to have to uh, reconcile that and, and, and get over it with time. But, but I think what the doctor
0: didn't realize with seven, what he learned from Janeway's wisdom is you're going to have to live with this. And that's going to, help you prevent this from happening from happening again again. yes yeah that was the key for me in the scene was like you know that's that's the key for what is the purpose of Mm -hmm. pain you know in life for Mm -hmm. any human forget this analogy or situation like what's the use of pain and the only use is that'll it help us remember next time not to get burned not to make the same mistake
1: lisa your thoughts on this final scene
2: yeah, I, I agree. I mean, Janeway saying, you know, that eliminating those feelings is the last thing we should do. Yeah. Um, I agree that that's kind of what it comes down to is that, you know, everybody, you know, it's human nature. You know, if we could push a button and, you know, wish things away, we would. Feel good. But Sure. Yeah. But the yeah. J- yeah, Janeway points out the, you know, the, the utility basically of, you know, feeling like crap.
1: Yeah. Okay. Robbie, what is your theme or lesson from this entire episode?
0: This is a tough one. The truth is complicated. I guess that's <laughs> that would be my theme and lesson. Okay. Uh, the truth is complicated. Uh, all right. And be careful. Okay. Yeah.
1: Uh, mine is that we all make mistakes as humans. And the hope is that we will learn from it and not repeat that same mistake again. Do you have a lesson from this, uh, Lisa, <laughs> that you want to impart on us?
2: I guess it's something along the lines of not letting your feelings run away with you. Um, mm. You know, that when, when you, when you are faced with a complicated situation, it's really easy to just, you know, well, I feel angry. And so therefore I'm going to take this side,
0: mm-hmm.
2: but you know, that really what, you know, kind of resolves the problem is, is the cold, hard facts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a great saying I've heard feelings are not facts. Yeah. yeah. That's a, that's yeah. a, it's a, that's a great theme. I'm going to, I'm going to take a mulligan on this. My theme is feelings are not facts. That's my theme, Garrett.
1: Okay.
2: (laughs) That's very Vulcan of you. Yes. Yes. Thank you.
1: I mean, if, if everyone took a moment to just take a pause before acting on an emotion... And just divest themselves from the emotion and just realize, okay, this is pushing me into a, into an area which I can't control what's going to happen next and just realize, you know, this is my emotions getting the best of me. If we could acknowledge that, just for the split second, that could save a lot of heart heartbreak and a lot of um, drama in this world that we live in.
2: Yeah,
0: That was retrospect. Thank you, Lisa, for joining us for this recap and uh, review and a tricky tricky episode i'm yeah. you know you had reached out to us and said that you wanted to come talk about it because it's an episode that may be misunderstood or may not hold up as well nowadays with the things happening in the world and and yeah. the way people look at stories like this with a different perspective mm-hmm. than the preschool analogy that maybe was was in the zeitgeist at that moment that might have fit that time and that particular story uh,
2: yeah it was not our intention at all to say that oh we shouldn't have believed seven i mean that would that's that is not the moral of the story yeah (laughs) and uh that's why i wanted to to kind of clarify where where the inspiration came from yeah and that it really was was about you know the fallibility of memory
1: yeah yeah That is the true theme of this episode, the fallibility of memory and not about not believing seven. Right. So, and that's an easy mistake that people will, you know, make when watching this episode, I feel. Okay. All right. Thank you everyone for tuning in to our recap. And thank you again to our special guest, Lisa Klink. Join us next week when Robbie and I review the killing game part one. Dun, dun, dun. See you soon, everyone.
0: Hi everybody